Thanks for joining us today. I'm Rob Parker, lead pastor at The Plant Church. Our vision is to know Christ and make him known. If you are interested in getting connected or if we can help you in any way, email us at info at theplantchurch.org. Today we begin our first Sunday of Lent. And this past Wednesday was Ash Wednesday. And Lent is the 40 days of preparation leading up to Easter Sunday. Now, if we want to be really honest when it comes to the whole Protestant movement, there are some denominations in the Protestant movement that recognize Lent, and there are also many that do not recognize Lent. For the ones that do recognize Lent, they look at Lent as 40 days of pre preparing their hearts for Easter Sunday. And so what they do is for 40 days, they go on a journey of fasting, of denying themselves of certain pleasures. Some fast once a week, some take 40 days and, and fast from, from certain delicacies, whether that be chocolate or social media or, or even, believe it or not, coffee for 40 days. Now, true confession, during this past 40 days when we did our, our prayer and fasting time, that's what I had fasted, caffeine, and it was extremely interesting. But really what Lent is, it's that 40 days of preparing our hearts to look at Jesus in a new perspective. And so as the plant, for some of you, this might be your first real experience of celebrating Lent, of remembering Lent, of recognizing the 40 days of preparation leading up to the death and resurrection of Christ. And really what our hope is as, as a staff, uh, as your pastor, is that we would go to not only the cross, but the empty tomb, having a new perspective of Christ. Our sermon series is entitled, Come and See Jesus. And so this Sunday, today, I want to begin by looking at the first ministry moment that Jesus had, the inauguration of his ministry that was going to take him for over three and a half years to the ultimate act of love. Would you pray with me? Father God, I want to thank you for your love for us and sending your son, Jesus. God, we know right now in our world that there are so many things that are, that are blurring our faith, that are blurring our, our hopes and anticipations of, of what you want to do in this season. And as the pastor, the lead pastor of this church, my hope is that we would have a fresh perspective of seeing Christ, maybe for some for the very first time, but for others in a, in a new perspective. And so I ask you that this would be a season, this Lenten season would be a fresh perspective as we come and see Jesus. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Let me begin with Matthew chapter 3. Now, here's another interesting thing that I want to point out. During the, this season of Lent, we are going to look at Jesus in the gospel of Matthew. That's going to be our perspective. From the first sermon to the last sermon, we're going to be looking and studying the gospel of Matthew. So in Matthew 3, verse 1 through 3, this is what it says. 
In those days, John the Baptist came to the Judean wilderness and began preaching. His message was, repent for your sins and turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The prophet Isaiah was speaking about John when he said, he is a voice shouting in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord's coming, clear the road for him. When you open Matthew chapter 3, right before Jesus steps into this ministry inauguration, John is out in the wilderness declaring the Messiah was coming. He was declaring, he was foretelling what was about to happen. And so what he was doing was he was calling the people back to God. He was calling the people of Israel back to God. And the act of turning back to God was water baptism. It was being submersed in water as a sign, taking your old self, going into the waters of baptism and coming up a new creation. And so John is in the wilderness proclaiming that the Messiah was coming to do something new, to give us a new insight and a new relationship with God. Let's now jump down to verse 13 through 14. Then Jesus went from Galilee to the Jordan River to be baptized by John. But John tried to talk him out of it. I am the one who needs to be baptized by you, he said. So why are you coming to me? So here's what's really interesting. We just kind of think when we read this passage that, that John and Jesus were living nearby one another. No, Jesus was in Nazareth and Galilee was some distance away. And Jesus knew that his ministry was about to begin. There is a season that we hear nothing of Jesus from the ages of 12 to the age of 30. We don't hear anything about Jesus in the scriptures. And all of a sudden, there's this moment that, that Jesus knows that he needs to start the ministry that his father had called him to do. And so Jesus went on a journey, a 50 to 60 mile journey to go to the waters of baptism in Judah, right where John was. Now, here's what's so interesting, is that sometimes when I think about Jesus having to be baptized, it's very troubling. It, it almost kind of throws us this monkey wrench into this whole gospel narrative. Because we look at Jesus as being the Son of God, the Messiah, perfect, blameless, sinless. And yet there's this tension where he is fully God and fully man. And, and if you've ever been troubled with the baptism of Jesus, that is exactly what is happening with John. You see, for John, he's thinking it should be the other way around. You should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. Now, now watch the baptism that John was preaching about that Jesus was going to bring. It says in verse 11, just go back two verses, this was the baptism that Jesus was going to bring. I baptize with water, John was saying, those who repent of their sins and turn to God. But someone is coming soon who is greater than I am. So much greater that I'm not worthy even to be his slave and carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so John's in the wilderness and he's proclaiming, repent, 
be baptized, turn back to God. The Messiah is coming. And then he's proclaiming that the Messiah is going to come and he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And so now all of a sudden you have this picture where, where John and Jesus are, are coming face to face with one another. And John is saying, it needs to be the other way around. You need to baptize me, a sinner, a broken man. And he was also saying, I actually want your baptism more than you want my baptism. But here's what's interesting. John was the forerunner to Jesus' message. And when we really see the first person to ever recognize who Jesus was, it was actually John. His mother Elizabeth was pregnant, and Mary became pregnant. And when Mary went to Elizabeth, the first person to recognize the child in Mary's womb was John. It says that, that the child leaped within his mother. And there was a relationship between the two of them, but, but we never fully understand when John recognized that Jesus was the Messiah, knowing that when this was all going to play out. But in that moment, John knew the authority in which he needed to put himself under. But that wasn't about to start yet. There was something that had to take place. This is what Jesus says to John. He says, it should be done. In other words, John, you must baptize me, for we must carry out all that God requires. Jesus was saying, we need to do this. You need to baptize me, and you need to pass the baton to me. And it says, so John agreed to baptize him. This was part of God's plan. And you see this tension between John and Jesus that, that I actually believe that when we read the baptism narrative that we all have, why would Jesus have to be baptized? And this is this whole fresh perspective of, of coming and seeing Jesus that, that I want us to stop and look at. I want us to stop and look at why would Jesus need to be baptized? And then how does baptism play a role in our life? So let's go through this. Why would Jesus need to go through baptism? Because if baptism was a public display of repentance, Jesus shouldn't have to be baptized because Jesus was sinless. But here's what Jesus did. Jesus identified himself with sinful humanity even though he was sinless. Let me read this, these two verses for you. First in Hebrews chapter 4, 15. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses for he faced all the same testings we do yet he did not sin Jesus was stepping into a sinful world with all the same temptations all the same trials and yet he did not sin it then says in 1 John 3 5 and you know that Jesus came to take away our sins and there is no sin in him he was a sinless man born into a sinful world. And his baptism was an act 
of confession. An act of confession, just like the prophets before him, that the world is broken and in need of a savior. And even though he was the savior, he took on the form of humanity and was going to do everything that God was asking humanity to do, including baptism. Baptism was also the inauguration to his missional purpose. I, I really think that we as a church, and you've heard me say this millions of times, the word missional, to be sent by God. That's all that missional means, to be sent by God. So baptism was Jesus's inauguration into his missional purpose, into his public ministry. I mean, look at what John said. John said this when, when he saw Jesus at, at a, in a different scenario. He said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so Jesus' baptism was a, was a declaration that he was going into the world to take on the sin of humanity, to put it on the cross, that sin would be put to death. That was the mission of Christ. And then the kingdom of God was amongst them in healings and deliverances, in his teaching, in his presence, at the cross, and then fulfilled at the empty tomb. See, this baptism was his inauguration into what God had called him to do. Baptism was also an act of obedience an act of obedience to his father, not to humanity, not to John, but, but to his father. His father called him to be sinless in a sinful world. His father called him to be the Messiah and the Savior. And so when he went to the waters of baptism, this is what he did. He was taking on humanity in this tension of being fully God and fully man. And look what it says in Philippians 2, verse 6 through 8. Though he was God, Jesus, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Going into the waters of baptism was an act of obedience that he took on the nature of humanity and he was going to put to death sin. This was really the, the first act of obedience to the mission of God the mission that God has called him to. He was putting to death an act of putting to death, just like the cross, just like the empty tomb, that he was going into the water of the baptism and showing new life, even though he didn't even need it. But he did exactly what the Father had asked him to do. And what I love about this too is that Jesus' baptism was not just obeying the Father, was just not giving the, this act of being sinless and, and living in a sinful world, but he was affirming John's ministry. He was affirming the forerunner of his mission. 
And he was affirming John and allowing John to baptize him, even though John wanted Jesus to baptize him. Because Jesus' baptism is so much greater than John's baptism. But the truth is they go hand in hand. In repentance, in putting to death our sin, we allow the Holy Spirit and the spirit of fire to come into our lives to change us, transform us, and make us into new creations. But there has to be that recognition of death in order for the fullness of God to be lived out in our lives. Jesus had to be baptized. It was mandatory. It was a must. And Jesus came in humility to accomplish the will of the Father. How beautiful that is. I, I hope right now that even as I'm speaking that, that you're coming and seeing Jesus with a, a fresh perspective, that his baptism was not robotic. It was just not something he was going to do, but it, but it was an act of servanthood. It was a, an act of recognition, of being fully God yet fully human. It was an act of even serving John the Baptist. And most importantly, it was all done in obedience. And because of that, look at what happens at the baptism. After his baptism, as Jesus came up out of the water, the heavens were open and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and settling on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Look at this. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. There is these two things going on right now that is so powerful after the baptism of Jesus. As Jesus ascends out of the water, all of a sudden there are two things that happen. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove. Now this is so significant because there is a period of time called the intertestamental period that God went silent from Malachi to Matthew. God was silent. And John was foretelling what God was about to do. But in between that, over 430 years, God was silent. And then all of a sudden you have this voice calling in the wilderness, repent, repent, for the Lord is near. And in this moment, Jesus shows up and God reveals himself fully. The Holy Spirit descends like a dove and hovers. There are two things that we see. First in Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, that at creation, the Holy Spirit ascended on earth, hovered earth. And we see that right here, that, that ascending is the same word for hovering, that the dove hovered over Jesus. And the dove was a symbol of new life that the good news was, co was coming. Genesis 8 through 8 through 12. Remember the flood that, that humanity was, was going to be destroyed except for God had one individual, Noah. And for 40 days, right, Lent is 40 days. Uh, the, in, the, in the ark was 40 days. And here you have this, this scene with Noah that when he, when he sends out the bird and the bird comes back with greenery, a sign of new life. And so what, what God is saying to the people of Israel, he's saying, I'm about to do a new work. I'm about to do the work that I foresaw happening 
after the fall of Adam and Eve. Now, if there was just a bird that hovered over Jesus, you could say, okay, wow, what a great coincidence. But no, the bird descends and hovers over Jesus, and then all of a sudden, the voice calls from heaven. God spoke. He affirmed who his son was. This is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. Now, now let's look at the, the, the actual Greek translation. This is what it says in the actual Greek translation. As for you, you are my son, the beloved one. As for you, Jesus, you are my son, the beloved one. And so in this moment, the, the dove descends and a voice calls out for heaven, for people to hear, for people to hear. Think about this. When you are a parent and you see your child wanting to thrive, wanting to do what they were created for, when you affirm them, you empower them. And for you as a parent, a Christian parent, when, when you see your child who's wanting to do the things of God, how much more do we want to affirm them? This week during Lent, one of my son just out of the blue said, hey, dad, I want to fast from such and such. My heart leaped for joy. Yes, I affirm him as, as my son, as, as Rob Parker's son, but when I see him wanting to do the things of God, I want to affirm him even more. And when God saw his son being obedient in the waters of baptism, a sinless man taking on the sin of the world, he says, I affirm you. I affirm who you are. You are my son. And we see throughout the gospel that there are moments when the father from heaven affirms his son. Because when we affirm our children, we empower them to keep going in the direction that they were called to go. And God knew that in moments that his son was going to go into maybe one of the hardest seasons of his life, the temptation. But what I love about this scenario, too, is that what we see is that, that there's a clarity of the Trinity. You see, for many people, the, the Trinity is, is, is incomprehensible. We, we cannot grasp it. We cannot understand it. And, and many theologians try to expel this whole idea of the Trinity and, and try, to like, try to mix it up and confuse it. And in other words, it just kind of pushes it off of us. You see, for many people and even some denominations, they love talking about the Father God. They love talking about the son, Jesus. But a lot of people don't like talking about the Holy Spirit, they, the holy who, the, the Holy Ghost. He's kind of spooky. But when we see the baptism, we see the fullness, the clarity of the Trinity at work in this moment that was supposed to go on for all of eternity. You see, there were moments of the Holy Spirit, but now we are going to see that the Holy Spirit is with us for all of us who are called sons and daughters of God. That the Holy Spirit is at work, working in the hearts and minds of people. So when they are taught the gospel of Jesus, they are able to respond because the Holy Spirit is working on every single individual. Whether it be Mawa or West Milford or, or all throughout the world, the Holy Spirit is nudging people to the message of the gospel. 
And when you come to the baptism, this is where we see not only the inauguration of Jesus, but the empowerment of the Holy Spirit given by God the Father. How amazing is that? Church, embrace the baptism of Jesus. Embrace the fullness of the Trinity because when we embrace that, we get to stop and see that Jesus' baptism that was true of him is true for us. Come and see Jesus in a fresh perspective. That the baptism of Jesus, there's a truth for us. So what does this mean? Four things. First, baptism identifies us as followers of Jesus. Let me, let me be very clear with this. Baptism identifies us as followers of Jesus. Baptism does not bring salvation, but what baptism is, it's a public declaration that we are identified with Christ, that we are putting to death our old nature and we are being washed as new creations. You see, the moment we say yes to Jesus, we are born again. Yes, I use the word, we are born again. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives and he takes our brokenness and our sinfulness and he takes it and, and he wipes it clear white as snow. But what baptism does, when we stand up in front of an audience of people, we are declaring that this is what we are doing. Colossians 2, 2 12. For you were buried with Christ when you were baptized. And with him, you were raised to new life because you trusted the mighty power of God who raised Christ from the dead. When we go into the waters of baptism, we are publicly saying we are no longer who we used to be. But in front of all my friends, all my, my, my family, I am saying that I am a new creation. You see, in Acts, this is what went hand in hand. It really was so interesting that it says all throughout Acts, and they believed and they were baptized. Hey, people of God, if you have salvation, your next step is publicly declaring that I have put to death my old self in Christ, and I declare it in baptism. Maybe during Lent, some of you need to be praying about, is it time to be baptized? Is it time for my public declaration to put to death who I used to be to reveal who I am today in Christ. Yes, you have salvation, but have you ever made the waters of baptism your public declaration? Second, baptism affirms our identity as a child of God. Baptism affirms our identity as a child of God. Now, let me explain this to you. In the Gospels, we hear about Jesus being the son of God and Jesus being the savior and Messiah of the world who is wanting to introduce us to the father to be identified as his children, but we are not identified as his children until Jesus is put to death and raised to new life again. And when he was raised to life, we now have the privilege to be heirs of God. Because God was saying, because of the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross and through the grave, you now are allowed to be identified as my child 
because of my son. Let me read to this what it says in scripture, Galatians 3, 27 and 29. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ, like putting on new clothes. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. When you said yes to Jesus, you became his child because of what Jesus did in his death and resurrection. And so in our baptism, it's a second affirming of who we are as children of God. Salvation first, baptism second. Two points of affirmation. Third, baptism is our missional inauguration. Yes, baptism is our missional inauguration. Just like Jesus went into the waters of baptism, inaugurating his ministry, his missional purpose, when we go into the waters of baptism, we are doing the very same thing. We are putting to death our old agendas, our old, our old wants, our old desires. We are putting to death our will, and we are saying we will follow the will of God just as Jesus followed his father. In our baptism, we are declaring God's mission will be accomplished in our life to bring him glory. Romans 6, 3. Or have you forgotten that when we were joined with Christ in baptism, we joined him in his death? Let me read that again. Or have you forgotten that when you were joined with Christ Jesus in baptism, we joined him in his death. I remember when I was baptized, I was 20 years old, and I came to a real decision that I have decided to follow Jesus. There's no turning back. And even though I declared it in my salvation, even though I was living it out, I wanted everybody in my church my closest friends to know that I am putting to death my will, my agenda, and I want to be inaugurated into my missional purpose. I remember my baptism like yesterday. It actually drives who I am. It has drived the mission that God has called me to. I remember that day being in this little Sycamore Baptist church in, in Springfield, Missouri, and going into the waters of baptism, saying, God, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. But there's a fourth part of our baptism, and it's this. That the entire Trinity is involved in our salvation. That the entire Trinity is involved not only in our salvation, but in our sanctification. We see at the baptism of Jesus, this beautiful working together where the Father sent the Son, empowered by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered Jesus, hovered over Jesus to do the will of the Father. In baptism, we are just declaring that the Father affirms us, that we have put to death 
our old self and we are coming out of the waters in new life in Christ. But we are also declaring that the Holy Spirit is going to do the work in us. It's his work, his will, his purpose to accomplish the Father's missional purpose in my life. Because I am a follower of Jesus, I am given the Holy Spirit. And this was all God's plan. Let me read to you Ephesians 1, 13 through 14. I think this brings a lot of clarity. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Let me read that again. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit. Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit. Remember he told the disciples that, whom he promised long ago. The Spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Jesus gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit, giving us the guaranteed seal that we are God's heirs, empowered to live out all that we were called to do to give him praise and glory. Plan family, I'm inviting us, all of us, including myself, to come and see Jesus in a new perspective. And Lent begins with the sending of Jesus, the inauguration of his ministry. Are you preparing to be sent into the world that God has called you to live in? And maybe for some of you, this just is a, is a wake-up call to say, it's time for me to start seeing Jesus again for who he really is in my life. Savior, sanctifier, healer, coming king. And maybe some of you today that this is a real declaration of, yes, I have salvation, but, but I need to publicly declare this. During COVID, over the last year, I, I feel like I've been hiding under a shell. I've been hiding under a rock that, that I'm half in and half out. Maybe baptism is, is your declaration of saying, I'm going to publicly declare that I am Christ's. And because I am Christ, I am a child of God. Today, plant family, come and see Jesus. And not only come and see who Jesus is, but come and see who you are in light of him. Let's worship together. It was great having you with us today. We do hope that this sermon inspired you to know Christ and make him known. For more sermons and resources, please visit us at theplantchurch.org.